Hi, this is Bill LeClaire, USA Scrum Coach with uh, Rugger Matrix USA. Hello and welcome to Rugger Matrix USA, episode 016-515. What does that mean? We'll find out in a moment as we look back at the Eagles Easter camp. But first up, you won't believe this story. It's right out of the wild, wild west. This is Rugger Matrix USA. Hello and welcome to episode 16. This is going to be one out of the box. Bruce McLean, come on in from New York City. Hey, Bronk, how you doing? Good. It's, uh, not only, it's about time that we're talking about record high temperatures in New York City. It's 80 degrees here in early April. April 6th, 80 degrees. That, that's some serious stuff here. We love it. Uh, and we have a great show here, as, as you saw in the introduction. We have Bill LeClaire, USA Scrum Coach, who we're very excited to have, especially after the Eagle Camp. He can give us some insight as to what went on. But we also have Pat Yallen, who plays for San Francisco Golden Gate on a Division Two team. And remember those shootings that they had about a month ago? It, mm. it, it the um, there was there was one between Diablo Gales and San Francisco Golden Gate, and there was one at a, at a women's rugby practice. Well, Pat was playing for Golden Gate when the two fans of the Diablo Gales got into the shootout, so he was there. So we're going to talk to him briefly about exactly what went on and what went on at that uh, at that event because it's kind of scary and but. A lot of people who were there acted like it was run of the mill, which was in shock. It was shocking. So without further ado, we'll, we'll get into more of the rugby later. Let's bring Pat on to discuss Pat. Yep, what, yep, here. In God, what in God's name happened? Yeah, well, pretty much we were just uh, sitting there and uh, we were getting changed, right? It was basically right after our game finished, we're getting changed. And all of a sudden I just heard a loud pop and basically ran through my mind. I thought it was an M1000, and then I hear another one, and I look up, and I'm like, well, that ain't no M1000. It was just a guy shooting right at him about four feet. He starts taking off, collapses about midfield, and the other uh, guy who shot him just starts running away with another guy. So, I don't know. It was just crazy. It was mayhem. It just all happened real quick. Shot him, maybe fired five shots, just hit him once, I think. So he shoots him in the chest, and yep. then misses with four shots. Yeah. And, it, it, and it, they're whizzing all over the place. Like, you guys you guys went down on the ground, right? You all dove down. It was like, what the heck is going on? People are throwing their kids behind the stands. And you're yep. hearing things whizzing and hitting off the stands. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I was on the sidelines, but our second team was on the field. Both the second teams for Diablo and our second team were on the field practicing, getting ready to play. So they they were all hitting the deck, like just hearing bullets ricocheting off some stand behind them. I mean, it was just crazy. What happened to the uh, day's game? Just uh, we won our first game, and then <laughs> the second game didn't get to play because of that. And when he collapsed, he collapsed on on the pitch itself. Yeah, he collapsed about midfield. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and 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 how long did it take? Now in New York City, if there's a shooting in a decent neighborhood, the cops are there in thirty seconds. Um, yeah. in a bad neighborhood, it depends. Um, but usually they're there pretty quick, but sometimes if, depends on who you ask, they'll say, yeah, they don't come for four hours. And other people say they come in 40 seconds. But, um, t- how long did it take for the cops to get there? 
It wasn't super quick. It was about five, ten minutes, I'd say. And then there were little kids playing around. Like, yeah. Describe the scene. How many people were at the game? Uh, probably about 150 but- to 200. We left about 25 minutes into it, and the paramedics still weren't there. Luckily, luckily there was an off-duty nurse there, so she was, uh, you know, there just helping stop the bleeding and keeping them calm. It, it, it's got to be like the wild, wild west out there. I mean, do you guys feel safe at games out there? And is it, is, mean, it, yeah. is, is it like this? Is it is you know is it a circus every time you go to a game? Is it is there always a threat of a fight or a threat of something happening? Because I know it's not the players, it's no. the fans. Yeah, and, honestly, and, and, this, this was yeah. you know this was just one of those things. Like I've never I've never seen something like this at a rugby game before. You know, it's just one of those. In, things that just happened that was just like you know what the hell like everyone was just kind of standing around like what the hell just happened it all happened so fast you know it's we're not we're not used to stuff like that i mean the worst you'll ever see at games you know is fist fights but everyone will see but i mean a, a shooting we've never seen a shooting before you know it's crazy and in a, and in a week before that in an east palo alto practice a woman's practice there was another shooting maybe yeah. been a week before or a week after Two yeah. guys went up who were not involved in the rugby club and start shooting. Pat, we appreciate we appreciate you being here. That's some hell of a story. And uh, for all you rugby players out there, be careful who your friends are. And if you have psychos who are friends, don't bring them to the game. They may pull out a gun and start shooting people. Pat, before you go, can you? Um, yeah. This clearly doesn't happen every week. What's no. it like week to week, and how are you going in terms of your rugby? I mean, it's. No, it's good. I mean, uh, there's uh, again, you know, this is the first time I've ever seen some stuff like that at, at a game. And then, uh, but uh, I mean, it's usually I've, I usually feel fine at games. Like we went up the next weekend to Fresno, and you know, they, they had a good party for us after and everything. And it's usually, you know, just a barbecue and a social like usual after the game. Usually, nothing like this going on. But uh, you know, yeah, it's just a rare thing. I thought. <laughs> Pat, why don't you tell everybody what you do for a living in in in, uh, in San Francisco? So, cause, cause, I'm a you, you, I'm, I'm a counselor at uh, the juvenile hall here in San Francisco. Good luck in the upcoming season. Say hello to Keeler and uh, and the Wells brothers, and we'll uh, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Pat. All thanks right, for joining us. Yeah, All right. Well, what a great story, uh, Pat. Joining us from the West Coast. And uh, the wild, it, wild West Coast. <laughs> um, yeah, well, 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 it certainly didn't. <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to happen in the uh, Randwick Uni game this weekend. All okay, right. let's move on to our special guest. Our special guest this week is USA scrum coach Bill LeClaire, who was fresh off the Eagles camp over the weekend on the Easter the Easter weekend Super League break we had a camp for domestic players and Bill was there coaching the scrum he got his 30 minutes in the two week in the two days so uh, he was there he was able to observe a lot because he only got to coach for 30 minutes so like to hear his take on things Bill welcome to the show it's your first time on Rugger Matrix USA although you are not a podcast virgin no, I am not. I am not. I have uh, subsequently. I have um, moved on from that, mate. Um, hopefully, it'll be. Uh, you'll get something out of it. Um, yeah. No, we went down to um, 
um, had actually this really good facility at a Jesuit high school, um, and uh, the hotel was great. The um, everything sort of worked on time. Credit to Tristan Lewis, and um, you know a lot of hard work for you know bringing 35 guys and staff, etc., and everything else, getting it all sort of set up. And uh, you know, it's, as you can imagine, with that many people and um, four sessions in two days, and then everyone having to leave by 2:33 p.m. on a Sunday, um, and getting everyone to the hotel. It was, uh, you know, it's typical of what we have to deal with here in the U.S., but as um, the guys get used to it and they all pull together and, you know, it, it was, it, it worked out pretty well. Um, training facility was really good. Um, people couldn't have been more courteous and uh, it was, it was a, you know, really enjoyable, but albeit a very quick sort of session. So, um all in all, it went well. So, um, you know, a lot of questions. We went in there with, you know, casting a very wide net and, you um, you know, Eddie wanted to see as many players as he can possibly can, and you know we'll be, move on. That list will get sort of pruned, and other people added to it. He um, he basically laid down the uh, the goals, and um, when on Saturday was uh, the number first number he uh, first presentation that he did he pulled over a piece of paper and it had 515 and that was the number of days to the World Cup and basically laid down the challenge that uh, every day at the beginning of every day um, you think about what you're doing and at the end of every day you do you've done something to get yourself a little bit better either be fitter smarter stronger um, and so basically let everyone know that this is you know going to be a long process but it's going to be very thorough and um, you know no stone will be left unturned trying to pick the best um, players that we can to um, you know uh, represent the US and uh, in New Zealand so um, it, it'll you know It'll be fun, but yes, 515 days, that was on Saturday, so, you know, the countdown's on. What were and, the goals, Bill? Um, basically, it was a, lot, it was a, it was a heavy, inf, uh, heavy emphasis sorry, on uh, defence and continuity. Um, set stuff was Davey had a 30, sec, uh, 30 minute session in the afternoon on Sunday I had a 30 minute session on scrums on Saturday afternoon but in essence really it was just trying to hardwire basic conceptual um, facets of, um, of the defence and, our, and of our continuity or terminology and things like that just trying to get people up to uh, new people up to pace with um, the way that you know, we sort of the way that we do things at um, and, and the Eagles, and um, just seeing who can basically muster up and, and handle it because uh, you know it's 105 minutes on a you know on a Saturday morning, and then it's a quick turnaround on another 105 minute schedule. It you know it, it takes, and they're all fairly hard schedules too. I mean, um, any time you get Dan Payne with his Thunderdome and boxing hats on and tackle suits, and you know you're getting guys cleaned out, saddle rolled, and chin snaps and all sorts of things under the net, you know, people are going to get, um, people are going to get bruised and battered. So, you know, fair dues to them. Um, they, they stuck it out pretty well. Um, good in energy levels and, uh, you know, medical staff weren't kept too busy, but they, were, they had their hands full just keeping, um, keeping everything together and uh, it was good. So I think that was really the main focus, you know. So Can you talk us through some of the... Can you talk Sorry? us through some of the term? Can you talk us through some of the terminology that you were using in in terms of the contact area, and talk us through some of the practices that Dan ran in the contact area, and maybe 
talk us through some of the things that Mike was trying to achieve defensively. Then we'll get into uh, we'll get into the set piece pretty hard because I know that people like to talk about the set piece. Just give us a feel for what a day was like and and what kind of things you were really looking uh, what you were looking to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's start off with. Um just like a good 15 minute warm up. Um, if we were doing defense and the first portion of the day, Dave Williams would usually run uh, defense orientated warm up sessions. Um, looking at numbers um, at a breakdown situation, um, you know, the three, two, the one, two, three rule, 15 meters, having three on the blind side, 10 meters, two, five meters, one, those sorts of things. Um, pillar A, B, um, all those sorts of, all those types of things. Um, line speed, you know, coming up is that they have, uh, Eddie has a call called turf, and then put after the two pass in its, its wedge, which means then sort of move out and follow, follow across. Um, you know, putting people in situations where they have to handle if the attack is off the nine or the ten, and then asking questions of your B defender, whether he jams down or moves across, and then how the other people react to them. So, I mean, it's, there's a lot of quick fire stuff that goes on. Um, all the coaches are sort of looking at that stuff. I'm usually looking through the video camera trying to film it. So. Um, Mikey can get some decent stuff to show the guys afterwards. So, subsequently, you're usually on top of a piece of scaffolding or a stadium somewhere, just trying to get a good long wide shot so he can use that in his um, in his presentations in the afternoon. Um, so, a lot of that sort of stuff is, as I said, is done down there. But you know, it's one of those things when it works well, you see it work well, and then when you're up there, if you see someone miss an assignment, then there's the big hole, and it's and obvious, I guess that it's uh, you know that's that's an area that you, we've got to look at. Um, but for most parts, um, I think Mike would have been fairly happy with it. Um, you know, it's just a question of just continued sort of repetitions and putting them in front of situations that they can recognise and react to. Um, the continuity stuff is um, Dan Payne's area of expertise. Been um, been an All American wrestler and uh, has a lot of. Has a lot of good stuff going on. Um, subtle little techniques that um, that are able that we're able to use. Um, he has his favourite thing called the Thunderdome, which is basically a net, um, which has allowed people to keep their body height in a low position um, while they're going through various exercises. Um, there's three basic uh, clean-out techniques that they use depending on the situation: a knee lift, which is pretty self-explanatory; a saddle roll, which would basically be a man trying to tackle a tackler a defender trying to get his hands on the ball and then one of our guys coming across cleaning out there's a series of procedures that need to go through in order to make that effective um, you know and Dan goes through it in great detail to explain it um, you know it's uh, it happens very very quickly you know you'll get big guys small guys trying to take down big guys so the little guys have to use a different type of, can use a different type of technique but in order it's um, they're just trying to get them out of the way and protect the ball and the other one is the body sack is just cleaning a guy out um, the hardest job as Eddie would say is the guy who has got the boxing helmet on and the tackle suit and lying on the bag because um, they start coming through there with a lot of um, a lot of vigor and um, <laughs> there's a there's there's a lot of uh, you know there's a lot of physicality behind it. So um, you know you try and sort of swap them up, and you you know very conscious of not having too many injuries or really serious injuries. There's these guys who get you know sore and bruised and stuff like that, but it's nothing really. It's always controlled. Um, it's not light your hair on fire and go crazy. Um, but uh, it's it's you know, it's it's a good session and it's hard work. So uh, anyway, that that's. 
kind of like that, how it went, warm-up, continuity, defence, and then they'd swap around defence and continuity in the afternoon. And, you know, we, they just spent so much, we just spent a lot of time doing that. Um, when you're working on so, the contact area, Bill, when you're working on the contact area, are they working on the contact area only from the attacking side of the ball or are they working on the contact area from the defensive side of the ball? Have you changed your tactics as to whether or not the guys go in and kind of and try to poach or do they just get up and try to you know, get the golden yeah. beater or just get beyond the ball, eat bodies, do stuff yeah. like that? Because it seems to me that if you try to poach the ball, you're only going to get penalized. And... So you're going to have to find another way to turn it into a pushing contest. You got to do, or just get out of it. Like if yeah. if you have a chance to get there, then if you, if it's wide open, then take it. But other than that, it seems to me like it's not worth it. No, it's it's it's. There was a you know we had a long discussion. There was a you know in depth discussion um, in one of the meetings that we had, and you know we, basically how do we approach the you know the the rulings as they are how are they going to be refed in the upcoming Churchill Cup are they going to be different than what the domestic players have been refed you know how they it's been refed and domestically here in the states and how you know now you get international refs coming over to the Churchill Cup and what their take is going to be on it you know southern hemisphere referees have a, seem to have a different interpretation than say northern hemisphere so yeah it does become slightly confusing for the guys and also for the coaches and what you're trying to and what we're trying to teach i mean we when we're under the Thunderdome, it's more or less trying to work on the offense side of things. But there is a majority of the time I spend, I would, I would venture to say more on the de- on the offense side of thing as opposed to the defense side of things, um, because it was of the nature of that camp and the nature of the assembly. It was more or less trying to get, trying to get fix one and then probably move on to exploring the other side um, of the ball, if you were. Um, but yeah, of course, you know we. I think Eddie's, you know, very cognizant of how he wants to approach it and making sure that they've got the right, getting the right message and how to apply it in the system that, you know, that he has. And um, and for Dan also to, you know, sort of work with that. He's probably obviously a far more experienced and um, specialist guy to talk to about that. I could end up kind of screwing the whole thing. Yeah, up no, no, much. that's so, fair enough. Yeah, and we, yeah, we had you know what I mean? Dan. We had spoken yeah. to Dan about that, and that's cool. Um, yeah. One of the things I want – could you tell us what – just give us what the two days were. Say guys got up at 7 o'clock, had breakfast, or you know, you, you had a, a profile session on the Friday night on Good Friday at 11 o'clock, 11.30 at night so that you could work on things so that when you got to the scrum machine or, and got into the live scrummaging stuff that you guys were set. It, tell it, talk yeah. us through what it was like for the players. What time did they have breakfast? What time did they have meetings? What time, how much were they on the field? How long were they in meetings? Like, this was a very intense two days. And I know that because at the end of it, when I was speaking to Tolkien, he was drained. He yeah, was like, it was, uh, yeah. I don't feel like talking about it. Yeah, so I don't understand. <laughs> you just grabbed hold of me. Um, actually, I by the time we actually had on that Friday session, um, when I went to have my um, so-called, my profile session that I had planned, um, because of one thing and another, it was basically 11.30 at night. 
and um, everyone else was in bed. There was one individual, um, a player that I hadn't really met before or worked with, I talked to over the phone. So I spent about 15, 20 minutes with him, just giving him a rundown on what we're trying to do. Everyone else I'd worked with before or had some form of contact with. So they were basically set for what we were trying to do, achieve for the Saturday afternoon. But Brian Howard was hang, a hang on a Hang on a second, Bill. Who is that player and what is his background? Um, the guy's name is, uh, the guy was Brian Howard. He was a former U19 player um, back in the day. He actually toured Australia with uh, Todd Clever uh, when Mark Bullock and, um, and um, Tony Smith were coaching the squad. Um, he played numbers, he was blindside flanker and a number eight, loose forward. Uh, he went to University of Idaho um, with John Van de Giesen. He played football and then he um, ended up getting drafted into the NFL and spent a couple of years with the St. Louis Rams. Um, he's now up, gone back home. His parents own a big farm about three hours out of Seattle. And um, he's playing for the um, Seattle um, Puget Sound team. Um, and um, so, yeah, he's a... He's an he's an interesting character. He's you know it's it's something to be said to have someone who's had you know two three years NFL four years NFL experience, um, undrafted free agent. I mean he drives six hours round trip for training and and games, so he's motivated and um, so he's he's six three and a half, about two ninety. So he's he's a big man. Um, and so yeah, we just wanted to have a look and look at him and see what he could offer. And um, he held up fairly well, to be fair, for a guy who's you know just coming back into the playing rugby again. Um, so you know the other coaches would you know thought his defensive stuff wasn't too bad. Um, he he was a big man, um, and he had a good attitude on him. And um, so, but anyway, well, um, so I had sorry. What that really shows is that if we can introduce rugby in the schools and we can get these quality athletes playing rugby, they can go into Division One programs and even go into professional sports, come back, and because they've had the introduction, have an opportunity to get back into the flow of rugby. Very similar to what Dave Hodges did, very similar yeah. to what this guy did, very similar to what Dan Lyle did, although Dan Lyle didn't play high school rugby, but um, he, he, he was a, an extremely gifted in, in, in the kickoff, kick return, and and mm. you know those types of players. That's the that's the kind of thing we need to do when we're when we're promoting youth rugby. Is that yes, get them in the good college rugby programs, but really get the top athletes too. And if they don't play rugby, then get them back afterward. It's something we had discussed with Rob Holder, but we'll skip that and yeah. just keep yeah. going Leonard, into yeah. what the days. Yeah, sorry, Leonard Peters would be another guy who who would fall into that category as well. Um, you know, who played in it, who had NFL experience, etc., and is is very is picking up rugby as well. Um, the one thing about those athletes that do those really good athletes, it doesn't take them long to pick up the concept, the conceptual ideas of what you're trying to put across. Once they start getting the idea of that, then they pick that up really quickly because they're just you know that's what makes them their motor skills, etc., lend that to. It becomes easy for that to translate, so it makes sense. But anyway, um, you wanted to know basically a rough program or layout of the day of training. Um, is that what you want now, Bruce? Yes, the training and the meetings. Yeah, yeah, yeah the meetings. Basically, uh, on a Saturday, you'd be up by about you'd be up by seven. Seven thirty would be taping. Um, at eight thirty, you'd be having a meeting. Um, Nine thirty, you'd depart for training. You'd start training. Um, then eleven thirty, your training would finish you'd get in your you'd go through your rehab sessions uh 12 p.m there'd be lunch 
uh, 2.30 there would be squad meeting and then you'd be back out training. You'd finish at 5.30, then you'd get your laundry in, then you'd have a squad meeting, then you'd have dinner, and then basically that, that would be it. That would be on a Saturday. Um, in between that time you had meetings. Um, coaches had to uh, basically um, download and clip their uh, respective um, videos, etc., for one-on-one uh, -on -one meetings or presentations that they had to present to the players. Um, the kicker was on the Sunday because everyone basically had to leave by 2 p.m. in the afternoon. So breakfast was at 6.30 and then we everyone had to get taped up. They had to meet at 7. Training started at uh, 8.15. Then we finished at 9.45. We actually stayed out at the facility and had a, had a, um, a mid-morning meal as such, just nothing too much. There was a couple of... Um, and film meetings after that and then went back out and hit the training field again finished up at 12 had to get back to the hotel by 2.15 for the hand and laundry then there was had the lunch guys had to shower up pack up um, and then Tristan Lewis had all the, the manager had all the uh, medical equipment all the uh, the pads the the um, the Thunderdome, all the as I said, all the medical supplies, all the hit shields, all the jerseys, all that sort of stuff had to be all packed up, stuck on pallets, wrapped up, and for the uh, UPS guys to come along and pick it up all by about 2, 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And then by that stage, guys had left. You know, guys were leaving in minivans and getting on planes and heading back home. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it's it's pretty well run. Uh, Tristan does a great job of sort of keeping everyone on on task and. Um, you know, it's a credit to him that everyone basically got home um, pretty much when he said they were. So that that's basically was the was the weekend, mate. <laughs> were, you, were you happy? Were you happy with Cam? Were you happy with yeah. you personally? Yeah, yeah, yeah mate. I'll, I know that. Describe sorry. us. Describe to to the to the listeners exactly what you did. You had a half hour block of time, and yeah. in, in that time, you really can't you can't do a lot of teaching. You have to really just no. get to it because you got to find out who's who. Just tell us what you did. Okay, basically what we do is, you know, after we, after they'd finished the uh, continuity and defense, we had a 30-minute set-piece window. So uh, Johnny Smith from Texas A&M had brought down a power scrum machine and, and had it there waiting for us, which was really good because we, that's the machine that we like to use. And so guys become very familiar with it, so it's not a, it's not a surprise. So... We'd broken down the, uh, we had three front rows, so we broke them down to red, white, and blue. Um, they knew what, who was it, who was who. So um, then we had three front rows, so we basically gave every front row uh, four engagements on the machine, then they'd swap out. We were struggling with coming up with a full back five, so we had, we, a couple of guys didn't make it, so we had to chop and change that around a bit. But basically every front row went through four times. And then we put basically a red front row against a white front row and we turned it into six on six, which was two second rows and a number eight. And basically it was just crouch, touch, pause, engage. And um, we had a, we had a very specific rules of engagement. There was there'd be no strap, uh, no collapse scrums, straight push, binds in line, bear down, power through, uh, staying at a three-quarter stance until crouch is called, and then the hooker and number eight must fire in together. And basically we just wanted to have some good solid reps and just come away with, we had filmed on the left and the right hand side and um, I've sent you some of those clips, Brucey, so you can sort of see what we're trying to do. And we sort of ended up walking out with about 24, 24 reps, I guess, in about 30 minutes. Um, you know, it was, to be fair, it was, it was, you could have stopped it and carried on and done other, other things, but the essence of what we're trying to do was just basically see who could just scrum. 
Um, just a good solid engagement. We weren't trying to be silly fellas. Um, and it was just um, this push. Just get into a strong pushing position and keep your concentration going through. So that was, that, you know, I was I was pretty happy with it. Really, to be fair, walking away, it's given me a lot to, to look at, and um, we can, uh, you know, we can move forward. Um, I'm sending out the uh, clips that I broke down to the players that were there, and so they can look at themselves um, and give them some advice on on that, you know, on what they need to work on. And um, hopefully by the next time we get there in May, that uh, you know we'll be a little bit better shape and maybe expand that timeline a little bit further out. So, you know, that's I mean that's all you can do in about a 30-minute section session. So um, all in all, I was pretty happy with it. But um, you know, all right, uh, Bill. Yes, yeah, Bill. We might have to wind it up there because we've got another yeah, mate. someone else here trying to talk over the top of you <laughs> in animal form. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on there? No, yeah, sorry about that, boys. Yeah, I got a little, uh, a new addition to the family, a nine-week-old or three-month-old uh, English bulldog puppy, um, aptly named Scrum. He's uh, sitting in this cage looking at me, panting and saying, what are you doing with these things stuck on your head? And um, take, me out, take, take me outside because if you don't, I'm going to pee on this bed that you've given me. Well, uh, what a trend. Uh, Wallabies, Drew Mitchell and uh, Ben Robinson, uh, I think because I Ben that. looks like it, uh, have both got uh, British Bulldogs as well and uh, from the same litter and they and they are the huge hit. And uh, Bruce, you'll be impressed with this. Uh, ben Robinson, uh, Bulldog, has left a couple of nuggets in the strength and conditioning coach's room. So I think, uh, I don't know if he did that by accident. <laughs> the dog says stop training my owner yeah there you go that's it well bill uh, bill leclerc you were talking to me when you were watching the blues waratahs game how impressed you yeah. were with the play of ben robinson and how happy I, you I, were at, at his ability no i think i think i think he's um yeah we've we've got a player very similar to uh to ben um in uh in jake um, I think I think Ben's really come on very well. I think Australia, the Australian scrum has come on really well. Um, you know, as much maligned there for a long time, but um, there's, you know, they've, they've got some good, powerful players in now. So, there's a good um, lesson in there for the American team, Bill, because it was neglected, and there wasn't a after you and McKenzie left, there wasn't much work being done for the for yeah. the Type Five at least and uh when michael foley uh took up the scrummaging position uh for the uh, wallabies he really sought to turn around the mindset of the scrum and then he continued that with the waratahs and they make up most of the uh, wallaby pack anyway and and it's a good lesson for application and good coaching and attitude no, no, I agree totally. I think it's um, it's it's not an easy thing. I mean, it doesn't take it doesn't just happen. Um, it takes a long time to get to turn things around. Um, you know, we I'm thinking back to the last World Cup we were in. We had um, what one tight head um, and Chris Oskintowski, and he played every minute of every game. And I'm, you know, my I'm fast forwarding to the next upcoming World Cup, and we'll have, you know, two maybe three, you know tight head props that'll be as good as one another as good as each other so they won't you know we can play hard and rest because our schedule is very sort of it's one game then four days later a game then two weeks off a game and then three days later a game so it, our recovery time is you know not the same as some of the bigger nations but you know having um good quality players that you can put out 
you know, good solid uh, front rows every time. That it'll, I think it will help us a lot, especially with the, you know, Russia and uh, and Russia and Italy. Um, you know, those would be two games that you'd obviously have to, you know, think that you got a chance with. But um, you know, we'll find out, I guess. But um, no, it, it's I think th Australia's scrummaging. I mean, you know. Been embarrassed a lot, you know, with with when Sheridan decided to have his way with them on Twickenham, and you know, with Matt Dunning, and it's it's it takes its toll on the guys. I mean, and and you know, you're playing in a position like that, and no one likes to become embarrassed, and you know, and fair dues to them. I think they've done a lot, they've done remarkable progress, and they've got a hell of a lot better. Um, and that was a full, which is great. Yeah, and that was a full eight issue. If you, I am still yeah. blown away by the overhead shot that day at Twickenham, and the yeah. pack was just splintered. And it was yeah. it was very unfair to blame Matt Dunning on his own because uh, yeah. when the yeah. seven other blokes weren't doing the same thing, as a unit, yeah. Uh, yeah, you fall apart. But that was you're, you're that was five apart. years ago, and uh, yeah. and as yes, you're right, it takes time, and uh, they've done a terrific job. But it's it has been an absolute concerted effort to get yeah. the job right. So you know, there's a lesson yeah. there for the Eagles. Yeah. Well, in, in fairness, so. Bronk, uh in fairness, the the scrummaging in the United States has gotten significantly better. And I, and I notice at the AC because in 2005, prior to when Bill was, was part of the Eagle setup, we were able to really just dominate scrums and, and, and win games. We knew that we were going to be able to take your ball, take our ball, and do whatever we wanted with it and push teams all over the field. And, and now that's just not the case. We, we can't do that anymore because everybody has been schooled in Bill's system of scrummaging and all of the teams are better in order to in order to even stay in order to stay even with teams we have to improve dramatically we don't have any kind of advantage like that anymore now I, I do want to get into a, a small technical thing before we, we wrap this up Bronk Bill uh, I I want to talk We'll, we'll, we'll live the power, the power and aggression, the tension and all that. We've discussed yeah. that on prior podcasts. The binding, the yeah. loose head bind and the tight head bind. Teams are slipping it. Players are slipping it. Players are missing their bind. What is the key to the loose head prop getting his bind? His, the loose head prop's hook bind and the tight head prop's jab bind. Could you talk us through that and what you're looking for in terms of the bind? Yeah, I think... And how, um, and how you get to it on engagement. Oh, you, okay, you're talking about as we come into engagement. I think what I've seen um, in numerous games that I've watched is that the loose head always has a tendency to overreach too far, to trying to reach too long too quickly. Um, and basically what happens in then is by the time they engage, the tight head, if he's, if he's on his job, is basically being able to stop the loose head from binding on him. I would prefer to see, and Jake Sprague is very good at this because he's, you know, he's not the he's not the tallest guy, but he's got very powerful arms and he is able to keep his hand close to his left ear and on the ear of engage when he comes in, he's able he doesn't try to overextend his arm. He basically just gets hold of the jersey and then he's from then from there he can go to work, basically trying to open up that tight head and come in on him. What normally happens with a loose head versus a tight head is that most loose heads will have a tendency to dip their head. Now, as soon as they start dipping their head, that is basically the tight head's one and only shot that he has to kind of control that situation. 
Um, if the tidies have to be really, really incredibly accurate in what they do there, if they don't, then it's basically the, the pendulum swings back in advantage of the loose heads. Um, if he is able to control that loose head by his bind getting on just past the, uh, the upper on the tricep, basically down on the rib, down on the on the lats um, and hold them there, then that's what we're trying to get. Um, I think a problem that you do see in, for some guys to get that is that they swim over, you know, they're like they're doing in Australian, the, the Aussie crawl. Um, so what they're doing, freestyle motion, is they're swimming over, but when they do that, they're opening and exposing themselves for the loose head to get in on that, on that right peck. So it becomes that fine balance of being able to close that off and still being able to bring your right hand through, grab hold of where you need to grab, make it a short bind. If you go too long, by the time you hit, make the engagement, then if you miss that bind, then you're in big trouble. So you want to basically make sure that it's nice and compact, that you get purchase on the opposite, on your opposite as quickly as possible. And then if you're a loose head, you're trying to open them up, open the tight head up. If you're a tight head, you're trying to control that elbow and keep them, keep them nice and tight. So, I mean... It's, it all happens Bill, within a nanosecond. Bill, do you You're notice about. that? Do you notice that on the touch, you touch and you come back, that the the props who get in the trouble tend to lose tension in their arm. They yeah, tend I've, to come I've, back and then kind of deaden their arm and shoulder, and then try to get it, try to get that speed and tension back again, but it's too late. Yeah, I, th I think with the tension really should. I, I believe that anyway. You know, I mean, we all. I believe the tension should only really start cranking up on the touch. If you hold the tension for too long, then then you just you end up burning energy and your amino acid starts coming up, and it's all it's a hard position to hold. But if you are in control, you have balance, you can bring the tension. I think what happens too is when they touch, they bring their hand and they drop it down by their uh, down by their thigh, down by their knee, and then it's just really slow and it's not effective on the engagement. When you have a look that's at what I mean. Four, that's two, what I mean by yeah. the losing the tension. Yeah. That's that's what I yeah. mean. They kind yeah. of drop yeah. it and. It's just kind of a lazy thing after. Yeah, talk us through that a little yeah. bit. Yeah, go through what you want to see. Uh, yeah, I just, I, what I'd like to see is just make sure that when you touch, it's a, it's like a good, it's it's touch with purpose, basically. It's a good solid jab, come back, elbows stay in front of your shoulder, and just basically keep your, it's like a punch. And if you're dropping your hand down by the knee, the opposite guy that you're playing against is going to hit you in the face first. So you want to try and keep your hand up in front by your ear or just in front of your head. Uh, front of your eyes so you can see your hand and then on the ear of engage as you go as you're getting launched in then your hand can be like a piston coming through grabbing hold of you um, binding on your opposite if you're dropping your hand and it's too far there's too much travel there's too much there's too basically isn't in a golf terminology there's a lot of green and you know you're only six eight inches away and by the time you engage and all those forces come through if you haven't got your hand close to your ear you're not going to be able to get hold of that opposite prop and maintain stability so um, those things are those things are critical I believe um, the good ones get it um, as I said I'm going to call his name out quite a bit uh, Jakey Sprague I think he's probably you know he's 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 come a long way he, you know he plays for you but he did used to play for, up in Boston before you sniped him but anyway mate <laughs> But uh, he's, he's doing, I mean, he, he's very good at that. He's very, very good at coming in hard. Um, you know, and if you're not, if you're not, and, if you're not equally as hard. So, Bill, thanks very much for joining us. Bruce, thank you yeah. for joining us as well. And, uh, Bill, good luck with the British Bulldog Pup. 
Yeah, mate, he's, uh, he's starting to lose his mind a little bit, so I better go and get him outside before he's, he tears up another bit. All right, guys. Uh, hey, thanks very much, Juno, and um, all right, you brother. Know, great to see you. Yeah, we could go on all day, but we've, we've got to wind this one up. Interesting start okay, to the show. Thanks. All right, guys, thanks very much, Bruce. Thank you. Speak to you next week, mate. Look forward to it. All right, Bronk. Peace.